Well, I'm Mel. And I'm Tosh. And welcome to another episode of Mahogany Mammology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. Well, folks, you know we have launched our retail line of Mahogany Mammology merchandise via Conversation Starter with the Continue the Conversation mug and this is Motherhood t-shirt. Shop today at MahoganyMammology.com. And now, on to the show. Yes. So there is a growing number of African-American women who have become pioneers in the country's burgeoning cannabis industry. More and more Black women are becoming marijuana entrepreneurs, creating dispensaries, launching CBD product lines, and selling edible cannabis products and we-themed merchandise. And of course, I got this from News One source. Um, However, we know that the marijuana policies disproportionately affect the black and brown communities. So how do, quote unquote, budding entrepreneurs, pun intended, um, of color gain traction and notable recognition when the odds are against us? Uh, So let's discuss this with our guest mammologist, Miss Whitney Betty, CEO of Apothecary Brands Incorporated. Welcome and thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, let's introduce her um, or give you guys some background history, if you will. So Apothecary Brands uh, CEO, Whitney Beattie, is a successful entertainment industry executive who turned into the cannabis storage designer that's spearheading her quickly growing startup. And I don't even know if it's really a startup per se at this point, because it's been like about five years. Um it, nice. it, it feel, probably feels like yesterday. Um, and after meeting so many like-minded cannabis users who laminated about, you know, the, the lack and good of storage systems, she worried about, you know, securing buds away from her children and her pets. Um, you know, she got tired of searching around for those jars and putting things underneath the Nike box, as I had read. Um, <laughs> so thus, Apothecary was born. Um, this brand seeks to redefine the image of cannabis users who take pride and pleasure in their stash while filling a hole in the marijuana paraphernalia market. All of those people that are attorneys who want to take a toke um, after their high power work day and being on their Zooms to now becoming quote unquote stiletto stoners, quote unquote, who are hosting late nights and also those seniors who are medicating for their health benefits from everyone in between has high demands in their life. So welcome again to our show. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. Well, we'll dive right into this. My goodness. So what, what was your inspiration again for this? You were like, I need to find a new place to stash your things because, you know, who wants to stash it in a, a Nike box? That was part of it. So um, it's, it's uh, let me find the best way to start the story, I guess. Um, so actually, uh, to back up, My background is obviously not in cannabis. I was actually working in entertainment and I actually did not use cannabis growing up. Um, You know, Nancy Reagan told me to say no to drugs and I believed her. I didn't think Nancy Reagan lied to me. Um, So I did not use cannabis um, until I got older. And what was the impetus of that, you know, besides a couple times in college, uh, was that I was working a high power job in entertainment. and I, I mean, I remember the moment uh, clearly. I was sitting at my desk. I was, you know, under deadline. I had been working these crazy 
16, 17 hour days and my heart started to race um, and I couldn't breathe um, and my heart was skipping beats and I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was dying. Um, and uh, we, I was in the middle of a busy production office and I didn't want to take attention away from everything else that was going on. So I did uh, what I thought was right, which was got into my car, drove to the emergency room at UCLA Medical Center, left my car where the ambulances were all parked um, and walked in and was like, I'm dying. So um, they can tow my car because I'm going to be dead. Um, and they rushed me in and they were like, hey, you're not having a heart attack, you're having a panic attack. And I was like, wait, what? Um, I'm a type A personality, I don't have panic attacks. Um, and that changed my life because that meant that, you know, I was having anxiety issues and my doctor started giving me drugs for these anxiety issues and I didn't like any of the drugs. And finally, my doctor kind of in an offhand comment was like, well, you should try cannabis. And I was like, wait, what? You, I should try, because for me, in my head, she could have just said, you should try those methamphetamines, because for me, it was like, you just told me to go get on the drug drugs. Um, but what she did was she gave me um, what I needed to go do my research. And so I started researching the plant and researching about um, cannabis and its effects on anxiety. And um, uh, also, more so, why did I have such a negative picture in my head about what cannabis was? Um, you know, and so as I went down that path, um, I educated myself um, and I found um, some cannabis products that worked for me. Um, and I realized at that point in time that, you know, I had cannabis in my house. Um, I was a grown woman and I was keeping cannabis in a shoebox. Like I was 12. I don't keep my other medications in a shoebox. I don't keep liquor in a shoebox. Why do I have this under my bed? Uh, why do I have to search every time that I want to, you know, uh, consume cannabis? Um, and so I decided that I wanted to design something that would allow me to destigmatize that, to have all my cannabis in one place um, that was a beautiful setting. So I could also, you know, if I had a party, I would set up a bar. I don't want to bring out my shoebox and say, hey, smoke out of this plastic bag. I'm like, that's not the world that I'm living in. Um, and so I decided to see, you know, what I could, what I could find and I couldn't find anything like it. So I decided to make it. I think that <laughs> yeah no no that's fine no no I mean why do you think I guess I know in the past you know when you think cannabis you think hippies you think um you know just a negative connotation like why why does that stigma still exist now because the person who put it in place worked very hard for it so if you go back in time before the hippies, um, you know, to the 1920s, um, cannabis was more prevalent than Tylenol. People used cannabis to, you know, for all sorts of medical uses. Um, and Harry Anslinger um, is basically, you know, was the head of a department, um, you know, there was the end of uh, alcohol prohibition. He wanted power and he also uh, used this plant in order to basically demonize black and brown people. He's the person who pushed for uh, cannabis to be, uh, to, to be banned or to be uh, overregulated. He's the person who also um, really came up with the campaigns that started Reefer Madness and um, a lot of that nonsense. Um, and what they did was they systematically um, ma married the idea of cannabis being bad and making people go crazy with black and brown people. So then it was, you know, you got people making, uh, I think he said, cannabis makes darkies think that they're as good as the white man. 
Um, like, and that's like, that's a quote. That's what he said. Like, that was the point was to demonize the plant and to demonize the people of color. People of wow. color are smoking cannabis and they're going to come in. They're going to rape your white wife. Um, you know, we've got to stop cannabis in its tracks. Um, and that attitude continued and was pushed by Hearst and um, other, you know, uh, newspaper reporters to sell uh, papers. Um, and that attitude about it continued to, to be prevalent. And then you get to the time where there's this war on drugs. Um, and whereas we know now, just like we knew then, that uh, people of color and white people um, smoke cannabis at the same rates, but black people are, depending on where you're on the country, four to 11 times more likely to get arrested for that same usage. Mm -hmm. So we've got this war on drugs that disproportionately disenfranchise uh, communities of color. Um, and so then you've got people who have to live through no-knock raids. They have to live through um, you know, stopping and frisking and being put in jail. You've got a whole generation of people for usage of the plant who went to prison, which, and, you know, affected those kids. It affected the communities. It affected them when they came out of prison, not being able to take part of social services. They couldn't, you know, get student loans, all of these things because of the plant. And that's why to a certain extent, in communities of color to this day, the plant is demonized because of, you know, the people who remember the effects of those. I can't even tell you how many people um, told me when I was like, I'm going to start a business in cannabis. They're like, ooh, that's not the plan. Uh, you know, really? okay for white people, that might be okay for the people over there, but you're going to go to jail. Uh, mm. They will arrest you. They're going to take your child away. Um, you know, and to this day, people are like, are you sure that's what you want to do? Um, because of that underlying fear that was baked into our community because of what we saw um, because of that war on drugs. I find that, and it's so challenging that you would be getting so much pushback because you live in a legalized state. I believe you're in California, correct? I am. I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're in a legalized state clearly and to your point if white and black and brown people are using it at the same time it's like well then why can't i you know be a legitimate business person you know what i mean like i wouldn't mm -hmm. be demonized if i owned a liquor store maybe i don't know <laughs> or if I worked for, you know, uh, Philip Morris and sold cigarettes, or if I worked yeah. for a vodka company and pushed and sold vodka, or if I worked for a pharmaceuticals company and pushed opiate pain pills. But because it's the cannabis space, then it becomes, oh, you know, is that sure? Are you sure that's what you want to do? Is that, you know, yeah. that's how you're going to go to jail? I'm like that's not that's that's not the move. I have no interest in going to jail. I have two parents who are okay. <laughs> right. Mm -mm, my daddy would be rolling over in his grave having me in prison. Uh, <laughs> like, that is not my move. <laughs> how did your parent? How did your parents take take this um, new idea five years ago? It's funny because so my father passed away right before I started my company. As a matter of fact, I used some of my inheritance money to start help start Apothecary. Um, and he was big on business. And so I, I feel like in a lot of ways, he continues to walk down this path with me because all the things that he talked and, you know, he was an MBA, um, you know, I feel like he is enjoying the heck out of this ride. My mother um, is anti-drugs. You know, she, that, that it was her position forever. And she so, probably wailed, huh? She was like, uh, wait, you use your hair to smoke it at all? Literally? Three degrees. <laughs> you have three degrees.
these and you gonna go out there and sell the drug drugs? Okay. Um, <laughs> so it, it 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 took her a long time to understand what I was, you know, and I had to talk to to her about it. I had to tell her, you know, this is slated to be a $40 billion industry that's starting from scratch. This is low barriers to entry. And I have an opportunity, you know, for an amazing amount of, you know, generational wealth that I can garner. I had to explain to her that, you know, communities of color have been disproportionately disenfranchised by this war on drugs. And now in legalization, we are not taking our place in the industry. So we're letting, you know, Chad open a dispensary on the corner and Jerome's still in jail still serving time in prison now you know uh in danger of catching coronavirus in a place where they don't have you know uh any any safe measures set in place um and and still having that same conversation with her like you know if i got that job at you know the liquor company you wouldn't be saying these things and so i had to talk to her through that and then i had to talk to her about the medicinal benefits of the plant because that is real um and people feel completely comfortable taking however many opiate pain pills that their doctor prescribes but if i tell you that you know i can help your arthritis with this cream or this rub that's not even necessarily going to get you a you know euphoric head high but will be able to keep you from having this pain you look at me like i'm crazy so i had to have those conversations um and it's funny because she's a whole 180 you know now uh, you know she's like if you can give me the cream from my elbow and then i just retweeted your thing about <laughs> this okay she's wait a minute not retweeting <laughs> not <laughs> retweets <laughs> she's like she's on social media <laughs> she, oh my gosh she's on social media i wish she wasn't <laughs> um, <laughs> I post, she's like whitney got whitney got the stuff whitney got the goods <laughs> so now she's telling all her friends or whatever i mean i've had an amazing amount of support from the black community um you know once i can have these conversations it, it matters um when i was doing my friends and family round of funding all of my initial uh, in funding came from black and brown people. And I had a lot of support from my church family. You know, and these are people who don't have the deep pockets to be handing out $100,000. So if they give me $5,000 or $10,000, that's money that they, you know, that comes from their heart, that they believe in what I'm doing and, and what I can do in this space. Um, and so I tell people now, you know, I've raised a good amount of money for my company, but the heaviest money on my heart uh, remains those people who trusted me when they didn't have to. For sure, for sure. Wait a minute, you said the church family. That's what I was because before we. That's what I was about to question, comment on. You said the church family. Like, did was there like a small business presentation? Like, what was that? I just I reached out to some people, and then all of a sudden, people started reaching out to me. Like, um, <clears throat> I heard you got this business going. So, um, <laughs> holla at a player. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm like, hey, this it's real opportunity. When we're going from a zero market to a $40 billion space, the Forbes had an article two years ago that said cannabis will have more jobs than manufacturing by 2021. So there will be more opportunity in this space, more jobs in this space. Um, and these companies are popping up. This is a huge opportunity for our community to really be able to take advantage of, um, you know, a industry that has we've largely been punished for and have we have we uh, in california and i don't know if you've been to colorado yet okay okay i mean i've been to colorado i've been to chicago i've been to i've been to a lot of places talking about cannabis and uh, and as much work as we've done there's so much more to do 
we are not here in the way that we need to be. We do not have these opportunities in the way that we need to have them. You know, I've been pushing um, along with a lot of advocates, you know, for things like social equity. So social equity is that I, you know, uh, plays into this idea that communities of color have been hurt by the war on drugs. And in legalization, we deserve prioritization and getting those licenses and getting those opportunities because we've lived through those dr i mean it might not have been your house that got in the no knock raid but it could have been the guy you know the people next door who then had you know issues and 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 all sorts of things that brought down our community as a whole so you see programs um popping up all over the country um in oakland was one of the first uh, places that put together a, a social equity program that was um, substantial. Um, in Los Angeles here, we have a social equity program that allows people who have come from certain um, areas uh, to have prioritization and getting licenses. Um, you know, the rules in Los Angeles state that, you know, they grandfathered in some uh, of the, disp the dispensaries that were there before for medical. Um, but we have a two to one ratio, which means for every one um, of those regular, you know, owned dispensaries, two um, licenses have to be given to uh, people who are considered uh, social equity applicants. Um, and every area defines what that social equity applicant is differently. And that becomes one of the things that we talk about, you know, is it someone who um, has been, you know, arrested for cannabis? Um, is it someone who is black and brown? Is it someone who's lived in, you know, these uh, zip codes that have been disproportionately disenfranchised? That's how Los Angeles set it up, because you really, um, in Ohio, they tried to say that, you know, this is going to go to black and brown people. And unfortunately, you can't do that, um, you know, uh, because of the way the law is set up that um, it, you can't just say that it's going to go to black and brown people. So what yeah. they did is they looked at zip codes where people were most affected. Where everybody getting, you know, arrested for cannabis? And then what you end up with is all these urban areas, all these urban zones, um, our communities. Um, and those people were, uh, you know, then deemed eligible to apply under these programs. And it's important that we do that, not just here in California, that but as um, legalization rolls out across the country, we need to be having these equity conversations first. They need to be first out. It can't be after legalization. It can't be after, you know, the initial rollout. We need to be a part of this industry from the ground up. Okay. And so with that, talk to us, or you, we've kind of mentioned in the conversation already, but what challenges have you encountered, you know, when you first started five years ago until now? Um, Every challenge. Every I know, I was going to say, as a, as a book in the, in the cannabis industry, really and truly, you want to just like highlight that real quick? So the biggest challenge by far in the cannabis space across the board is finding right money to start businesses um starting in cannabis depending on what size you are can be difficult and i can speak to two sides now because i have my business um apothecary where we do high-end storage we do not touch the plant which means that i don't need a license to do this because i'm not selling you cannabis um you know but on the other side i'm also working to open a dispensary in los angeles which means i do need a license um and uh those are two different uh verticals and we should talk about um you know the opportunities that lay there um but when you are starting a company that needs a license, you need a lot of money. Um, so in order to, to open my dispensary, we had to, um, we had to lease a property um, over a, a year ago now. So I've been paying money every month on a property that does not have a dispensary in it just because I'm trying to get a license. 
Not to mention the money that I have to pay to the city for the license. Not to mention the money I have to pay to the state for the license. Not to mention all the attorneys that I need and all the planning that I need. To open a dispensary is easily gonna cost you two, one, and three million dollars. Right. On the ancillary side, you've got smaller barriers to entry. I didn't need a license, but I still need to be able to buy inventory, get the, you know, get to an MVP, do all of this other work. And cannabis is still federally illegal. What does that mean? I can't get a regular loan. I can't go to the bank and say, hey, can you give me a small business loan? Um, most traditional ways of financing are cut off. So what's left? You've got angel investors and you got VCs. Angel investors are people who have high net worth who are going to invest in your business. Um, awesome. How many people of color have a bunch of people with high net worth in their personal circles? Not many. You know, not, not many who's going to, you know, everyone talk about, oh, Jeff Bezos started from the bottom, you know, started in his garage and made all this. Jeff Bezos had his parents give him $300,000. If my mama gave me $300,000, I'd be doing great too. Okay. I'm like, we don't have that opportunity to have that sort of money come in. And so we have to, now we have to do cold calling or cold emailings to people that we don't know. Um, and to be honest, um, racism or no racism, people... Uh, who are angel investors are typically older white males and they typically in, um, invest in people who remind them of themselves. And most of them don't see themselves as a, you know, a 40 year old single mother who's black. So I have to um, overcome a lot more than other invest, you know, other people in order to get those investment dollars. I need them to be able to see my vision. I need them to be able to understand that I have the ability and capability and the vision to make this happen um, and that their money is not in vain and that I see an exit strategy for my product and for my company. Um, and so we have hurdles on that side. The other side is the VC side. Um, and those numbers are incredibly clear. Um, you know, women have uh, received 2% of VC dollars um, in the last five years, 2% of money from VCs uh, are going to women-led businesses. And if you're talking about black women, that's 0.0006%. We're getting 0.0006%. There are less than 40 black female-led companies that have ever raised over a million dollars, period. Not in my vertical, in all verticals. Yeah, yeah, yep. So that's, that's the hard part, getting the money in to be able to to sustain and to be able to compete with the businesses that are coming in with, you know, $5 million, $10 million, $20 million. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to get any kind of support, whether it be verbal or resources from like budding white women cannabis entrepreneurs? I mean, I, I have. I've, I've gotten really good relationships and I have raised money. I've raised money from, you know, from VCs. I've raised money from uh, angels. I've raised money from uh, uh, Pipeline Angels, which is a woman-led uh, group of investors. Um, you know, so there are opportunities out there. And even though I say it's like extremely difficult because it is, um, that doesn't mean you don't do it. You do it anyway, uh, because anything worth having is worth working for. So it's not that it's not possible. It's just that you have to get ready to hear those no's. You know, I get 100 no's before I get a yes. I get 200 no's. And so at a point in time, it's like you have to be ready to collect them. You know, can you tell me why this isn't the right fit for you right now? Write down that answer, see what you can do to, you know, to fix it and move on to the next, um, the next opportunity. There are 
you know, uh, VCs that are focused on uh, minority-led businesses. There are VCs focused on women-led businesses. You know, people that you know are going to have to get used to um, having a lot of awkward conversations <laughs> and hearing a lot of bad news and before you get to that good. For for our listeners who are in states that are not legalized marijuana, how can they invest? How can they partner? What what can they do to be a part of the business? There's a bunch of things that they can still do. So you can always invest in uh, cannabis facing businesses that are in other states. You can you know reach out and and start heading to. Uh, there's so many conferences now. There's so many um, events set up uh, to bring in um, investors and people who are interested, regardless of what you know is going on in their own state. So that's important. Um, also, you know, uh, I think that there's this idea that everyone who works in cannabis grower, you know, I, I'm interested in this space. I'm a, I'm gonna start growing cannabis. If you have never grown anything in your life, if your house plant in your house is looking sad and strangly like this, maybe that is not the move for you. Everybody's not meant to be a grower. However, there are a huge amount of opportunities within this space that have nothing to do with growing. So I talked about jobs that are, that you know, businesses that need to be licensed. That is, you know, your dispensaries, your deliveries, your um, distribution companies, your manufacturing, and your cultivators. Besides that, there is a whole slew of businesses on the ancillary side. I make humidors. People make packaging. People do education. People um, do brand branding. People do social media, marketing, events. Uh, we need attorneys. We need um, you know nurses. We need uh, accountants who are very familiar with this space. There are so many opportunities to do things like that. You can be an, a, a cannabis-facing accountant and live in a different state. You're just doing somebody's books and making sure that they're, you know, complying with 280E and the rest of the, you know, statues that are uh, are particularly um, important to our space. So look at those other businesses. I think that the key to success in the cannabis space is figure out what you're good at in general. What are you good at in your industry and figure out how to bring those skill sets into the cannabis space. Don't come over here and try something new. If you ain't never been <laughs> a grower, don't come over here and grow. But if you are a, a great <laughs> CPA, bring that skill set. If you know how to teach, become an educator in this space. We need lots of education. Those, those things are very important. So being able to hone in on where your skills line up with this industry is the key to success here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so talk to us with that, with all the other occupations that you mentioned specifically like nursing like you so you talk about nursing and doing research I was looking at um they were talking like maybe highlighting eight African African American women of color who are entrepreneurs and one of them was a nurse yes she was a nurse which I was like yes yes (laughs) <laughs> like yes we we need those people especially people in the nursing and um and medical fields because for a couple of reasons you know at the end of the day uh the vast majority of states that have brought on cannabis have medical programs um you know so people are using um the cannabis for everything from seizures and cancer um to ptsd and um anxiety across the board. So people need to understand 
the plant. They need to understand how to use it. If this was the end of alcohol prohibition, you would need someone to tell you, am I supposed to take a shot of vodka or am I supposed to take, drink three cups? And it's the same with cannabis. You need to understand how much should you be consuming? What should those, um, you know, what are the levels of THC that you need? Um, if I'm grabbing this edible, should I eat 50 milligrams or should I eat five milligrams or should I eat one milligram? Having someone who can help people, and especially when we're talking about older generations who are ha don't have that familiarity but could really benefit from the plant, or people who have experience from the 60s and 70s, and they're the ones who are always like, cannabis isn't the same now, it's newfangled and different. Um, it's, it's not that you're newfangled and different, it's that you've been smoking dirt. And <laughs> You don't know how <laughs> to translate this information over. So it's yeah, being, so that's like chicken. Like, you know, you haven't had good chicken unless you had my chicken. See? Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know. <laughs> so those nurses coming in and, and teaching and, and being in stores, you know, there's a lot of dispensaries that have someone who is on staff that will, you know, you can go to the corner and say, hey, I'm having problems with X, Y, and Z. Can you recommend something to me? Um, so it's not like you're just going in and buying blind and it will give you that, that information and talk to you about your endocannabinoid system of the difference between CBD and THC and uh, why those things play well together, the difference between hemp based and, and uh, full spectrum or broad spectrum. Um, you need to have someone who can have those conversations. Um, and I think it's also important that those, that some of those people are black and brown people because they, you know, my elders are going to listen to that, uh, more easily and be more open uh, if they see a face that reflects their own. Mm -hmm. You talked about your mom and I'm, I work in healthcare as well. And there was the, the oldest white of white men who sat in the office and, you know, MAGA loving somebody, you know, <laughs> no offense, you know, and he was just like, I don't know about this. You know, he, he, um, was having issues with arthritis in his joints. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, he was like, I don't know, but my daughter, like, told me, mind you, his daughter had told me about this thing to put on. And he was like, let me tell you, since I started putting it on, blah, 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 I love it. My man, I think my man uses that thing, like, <laughs> twice a day. He just slathering, slathering. Came, came in my office and was like, do you mind? <laughs> no, nah, do, do your thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do you, like, there is no, clearly ain't gonna be no judgment from me. Yeah. I was like, if it makes you feel better, you're not gonna be stumbling out of my office, clearly, you yeah. know? But we have these honest conversations. He, very nice man. But we had these honest conversations, like, you know, it, it going to the point, like, we gotta get rid of the stigma from the start, Right. And mind you, this man was in the eight, you know, in his eighties at the time. And so I was just like, you know, if it makes you feel good, like who, you know, I'm clearly not judging you. You're going to get in the car and go home safely. So it's all right. You know, better like anything else. I'm like, it's better than, you know, taking, you know, shots of cortisone, you know, every six months. And, and that's the difference. And people have to also be able to understand when I say, you know, people can use cannabis in a lot of different ways. Every usage of cannabis is not going to get you a euphoric head. That's, I mean, that's a cream. You're not going to put the cream on your hands and be like, oh, I see elephants. Yeah, that's it, not yeah, how any yeah. of this works. Um, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's why also why that education becomes such a big portion because I can give you know, someone who's 60, 70, 80, 90, um, a cannabis, uh, you know, product, 
that is, you know, uses the whole plant, but might, but it's not going to give them a high if they don't want it. You know, I can always give them something that, that will give them a high if that's what they're looking for. But if they're just looking for medicinal, um, there's lots of options for that that won't make you high. I mean, and everybody now, CBD is the cannabis darling. Everybody, oh, you know, I don't use cannabis, but I use CBD. Number one, CBD and THC come from that same plant. Um, and so... To me, it's a part, I'm a member of an organization called Supernova Women. We um, seek to encourage women of color to come into the cannabis space and become stakeholders, um, business owners. We support them through advocacy um, and through education and all these things. And our uh, executive director, Amber, did a really good op-ed. Um, and I believe it was in Glamour Magazine talking about um, how you know CBD has become this amazing darling for all these people, but they still choose to stigmatize the THC part. Like the, it's the THC is bad and that's what's making you high or what have you. Um, but CBD you can find on the, you know, on the shelves at Target um, and that's warm and fuzzy. Um, and it's about making sure that people understand that those plants come together. They work best together. They have an entourage effect. Even when I'm using THC that also doesn't mean that I'm getting high. I can use something that's 30 to one, 20 to one, four to one on a ratio scale. Um, and it's not going to give me a great head high, but it'll give me great medicinal benefits. And so that's why it's important that we have these conversations to destigmatize the plan. That's also, you know, why I do a lot of speaking about it, because I think people still have this idea that, you know, if I'm working in cannabis, then I'm just like over here token all day and blowing smoke in my baby's face and, you know, laughing and, and being, you know, that's not the life that I live. The people that I know who use cannabis, um, are just like you and me. Shoot, they are me. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, they, they are doctors and lawyers. They are meaningful members of society. I'm like, they are pastors and they are the person that sits next to you in the pew. All of these people have used cannabis for different reasons or whatever. And the more that we talk about it, I want people, when they think about cannabis, instead of thinking about the negative stigma that the media wants to put out there, that is bad kids behind a gym or it's, you know, crazy college kids or whatever. I want them to think of me. I want them to think of me that, you know, I, that I've got, you know, done my work. I've got three degrees. I've got a kid who's awesome um, that I raised well on an everyday basis. And I also incorporate cannabis into my life. And there's more people that you see talking about that and showing that lifestyle. I think that that's how we uh, turn the stigma and, and change people's view and perception of what the plant is. Love it. Love it. Now that we're all, you know, sheltered in place and COVID-19 and whatnot and whatnot, I know, I know. <laughs> how is that, how is, how is the, the, the cannabis discussion changed or shifted? Has it changed to a more positive? Has it changed? Um, have you seen a change? I guess that's the question for it, first and foremost. Because when you're sheltered, you, you know, a lot of people are having increased anxiety not even just being inside, but just the whole situation as a whole. Everything is stressful about it. Yeah. Stressful about it. So yeah, absolutely. So uh, on a couple levels. So uh, cannabis usage or, or cannabis sales on the dispensary level are, are up. Are, you know, in the same way that people made a run on the BevMo and all the, you know, the alcohol, um, there was a definitely a run on cannabis. Um, for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is this is 420 month. Um, uh, so um, yes, on that side. But I think on a more important note, um, it's important to look at the fact that um, the vast majority of states that have cannabis 
sales that are legal, either on the medicinal or the recreational side, have deemed cannabis an essential service. And that means that uh, dispensaries here in Los Angeles, across California, we are still open. Delivery is still open. They have to by social, but that says as an industry that we are an essential service. We are giving, a, you know, we've got a medicinal patients that still need their medicines. You can't lock people up for five, six, seven, eight weeks who have anxiety, who have health issues, um, and keep them away from their medicines. And as we look at ourselves as essential services, that makes us say, well, if this is an essential service, how come we can't do this? And how come they can't do that? And how come the SBA doesn't wanna give us loans? And how come, you know, X, Y, and Z? Because we are an essential business. There's lots of people who are closed, but our industry is not because in a very real way, um, we are, a, you know, a medical industry. Um, and so when you look at it like that, it really has affected the way in which we talk um, to our uh, representatives and to the government about how they handle our space. Um, a good example of that is, you know, there's this law called 280E, which basically says that if we're doing, you know, your plant touching business and you are, um, you can't write off anything, basically can't write off rent, can't write off, we, we can't take the normal deductions that any business does. So, you know, we have a huge tax burden in the cannabis space. We're talking 40%, um, you know, of tax, you know, uh, on anything. It's, it's absolutely absurd. Um, so how are you taxing us that much, but you're not including us in your stimulus? We, I mean, you're going to give help to a cruise line who flies under the flag of a different country, but we're as an industry are your fastest growing industry. We're a $40 billion space in a couple years. We'll have more jobs in manufacturing, but you can't kick us back any of that money that we've been sending to you so happy. Really? That's not gonna fly anymore. So it's definitely changed the way that we advocate and our conversations with our government because um, of that designation. Where, what can people of color do in states that are not legalized to continue the advocacy uh, process? Education. Educate yourself about, um, you know, the plant and what's going on in your state. In every state in the union, I guarantee you that there is a group of people who are working towards legalization everywhere, even the most conservative states. Um, there are organizations like Normal um, who are working to, uh, to lobby um, your governments uh, and your municipalities about bringing cannabis on board. Educate yourself about what's happening there. Figure out how you can be a part or support those efforts. Um, rather, whether you use the plant or not, um, making sure that as these laws come on board that they are taking into account social equity um, and opportunity for people of color, that they're making sure that they are um, throwing out convictions. You can't now legalize and then keep all these people in jail. Um, that, that the way in which they bring this, you know, legalization on board is fair and equitable. Um, that's important uh, in every state, but particularly in ones that are about to come online. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. So talk to us, uh, plug, a, plug yourself. Where can we find you? What, what, Instagram, all the social media stuff. 
Okay, um, so apothecary. We sell beautiful high-end humidors for cannabis consumers. If you keep your wine in a wine fridge, liquor in a bar, cigars in a humidor, do not keep your high-end cannabis in a shoebox under your bed. You can find us on our website, www.theapothecarycase.com. That's T-H-E-A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-R-Y, case, C-A-S-E.com. Find us on social. Um, we are The Apothecary on Instagram. We are The Apothecary on Facebook. You can find me personally at The High Mommy Life on Instagram. We love to connect to, uh, with people. We're always sharing um, information about the plant. Please reach out. Nice. What's your conversations been like either with your son or have you had conversations with your son about um, weed or maybe just their business in general? You had mentioned, you know, generational wealth as something that you want to carry, carry throughout. It is. Um, I mean, I have age. My kid is six, going on 637. With this, um, <laughs> as I become you a whole. Me both. Look, <laughs> going on 70. I hear you. I'm like, so I've had conversations with him. He knows that, um, you know, mommy works in a, a in an industry where we, we make and sell medicine um, and devices. He doesn't know a, a ton about it, except for the fact that it's kept in locked boxes. Um, and he really, because um, my cases aren't very, um, they're designed to blend into a room. It's nothing that he really asks a ton of questions about. He knows that that's the space that I work in. And sometimes it is, you know, it's interesting working in the space, even in legal California, when you're sitting around at, you know, the preschool um, open house and everyone's like, what do you do? Well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm like, it took me a while to feel comfortable telling people, at, you know. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like, it's, it's you're not, a pharmacist. You're, weed with that. <laughs> you, like, you're, you're the black lady and you're also the one who sells the weeds. Um, <laughs> I was like, let me just kind of roll this out in stages. And it's funny because even when um, I felt, you know, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going to tell people who it is, what it is because I don't care. Um, at first people are like, oh, and then I find that they come and they pull me to the side and they're like, well, I keep my cannabis in the freezer. Well, this, that, and the other. And can you, this, that, you know, so I, so much of that also older people or like my mom's friends who will come slide into my DMs like I had heard that you might know something about the cannabises <laughs> so slowly but surely the conversation is becoming more open <laughs> I, I was gonna say I knew that was probably the thing probably the case if they ask you what you do I know so I know especially some moms depending on where you go to school they they slot. They not even sliding in your DM. They live like, yo, come. Let me let me talk to you in the corner real quick. Wait, what's Absolutely. your cell number again? <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Um, like, it becomes a real conversation really quickly, and I was I was surprised. It took me a while. I, I you know I I likened it to coming out. Um, I don't know if it's the best uh, uh you know uh, comparison, but it's like coming out. Um, you know. I'm working in cannabis, like, um, and then slowly but surely, you get everybody's real story. Everybody's You're coming story. out of the the negative stigma of it, and that's what it comes down to. That's why I have the conversations, not because I want everybody in my business, but because it's important that I'm able to stand up here and say this for all the people who cannot, for all the people who had DCFS called on them or Child Protective Services called on them because they used cannabis, for all the people who are scared to let people know that they consume at all. But it's 
funny and cute when people talk about, you know, wine o'clock or wine hour or go to happy hours or what have you. But the idea that you might smoke a joint when your kid is asleep um, makes you, you know, someone to be demonized. Um, that's not fair. Um, and so if I have the ability to stand out and tell people that, you know, you can use cannabis in a, in a mindful way, you can consume a, in a smart and thoughtful way, and that that is okay, um, I'm going to continue to do that. What's up for you? What's uh, next for you? What are you working on as we speak in this lovely shelter in place time frame? Oof, I'm like this shelter in place, um, you know, uh, uh, being a mompreneur at home with a uh, kindergartner who has, I'm like, the child has so much work coming in from school that I feel like he's going to graduate with a uh, MBA momentarily. I'm like, some somebody better give this child a degree uh, for everything he's doing. Um, but uh, for me right now, I'm focused on, you know, keeping Apothecary uh, up and running. We have been blessed during this that, you know, we are still able to sell um, and they were keeping busy going into 420. Um, and then uh, the other big thing is, um, you know, we're opening, I'm working on opening a dispensary in Los Angeles. So we're in the midst of that, working on, you know, everything from design plans to bringing on, um, you know, new investors. Um, so that's really exciting. And I'm working, um, and what's most exciting about it to me is that I'm opening in a community of color focused on a community of color. You know, being able, I want to be able to bring, um, you know, senior citizens from, you know, our community houses um, into our dispensary and be able to educate them and be able to give them opportunities to try the plant. So being able to serve that, that community in particular, which is my community, um, I think uh, is what really makes me excited about it. Nice, nice. Um, do you are you aware or is there I know you mentioned like a small network but of other um, African American women um, cannabis um, entrepreneurs are y'all like oh, we, do I have a group me going on I don't know like you we know. got the international head nods going on we've got um, so yes yeah, so like I said I'm a member of Supernova Women we're a right. organization that brings people together we have you know there's a minority cannabis business association there's minorities for medical marijuana um, there's you know organizations across the country um, that are bringing together black and brown entrepreneurs. And it is so important that we get to know each other, that we are able to support each other and our businesses, and that we're able to lobby and advocate together to make sure that we all have the opportunity that we deserve within this space. So yeah, I'm like, in that way, even though it's a very large industry, I feel like it's a very small industry because I feel like I know, I know a lots of them. <laughs> and I can imagine. <laughs> Definitely. Gosh, thank you so, so much. I mean, it's eye-opening. It's, um, I feel like every time we do an episode, uh, it's definitely education. It's something I'm like, okay, how can I get in? Or, you know, uh, and I'm sure you've uh, enlightened so many mothers um, that listen to us, not just, you know, where we're based, but nationwide, even internationally. So we appreciate you and your knowledge. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. You know, it's not a conversation we are having enough within our community. And so I think it's really important that we bring these things up, that we talk about the opportunities that are in this space. If, somebody, if this was the end of prohibition and someone said, hey, do you want to start Jack Daniels? People would say, heck, yeah, I want to start Jack Daniels. That's an opportunity for years to come. That's where we are with cannabis. Um, and I want people to make sure that they are, you know, doing some real self-evaluation to see if there's opportunities within their space, especially as a new state comes on. Cannabis isn't allowed to cross state lines because of federal, um, you know, prohibition, which means that, you know, if I grow plant in uh 
in California, I can't then go and sell that in Arizona, which means Arizona has to build its own industry from the ground up, which means that in every state, there are huge opportunities as this industry comes online. Make sure that you're aware of what's happening. Make sure that you're there when it starts. Nice, nice, nice. Well, thank you again so much. Um, we do have your information. We will plug that in our show notes as well. Um, we will continue the conversation through our listener comments and questions in our Facebook group. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can also email us at mahoganymomology at gmail.com. You want to check out our website again, as mentioned, mahoganymomology.com, where you can find not only the pre previous episodes, but our merch that we have. Until next time, I'm Tosh. And I'm Mel. And we thank you for listening to Mahogany Mammology. Bye-bye. Bye.